1: that's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge that that personal connection, I believe to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, you get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is com slash iFanboy. You are listening to iFanboy's Talk with Matthew Rosenberg. Finally. Play it loud, play it fast. Play something
2: that will last. Play, it tough,
1: play it quiet. Hey, it's Josh Flanagan with iFanboy.com, and this is an episode of iFanboys Talk Explode, our creator interview show. People paying attention to real time will know this is quite late. What do you want to do? It's a great show. We are talking with Matthew Rosenberg again. He's been on the show uh, before, great comic book writer and creator. Now we are mostly talking about his new Image series. It'll be out in November. Uh, what's the Furthest Place from Here? But we also talk about some of the other great stuff, like oh, his, his wonderful King and Black Thunderbolts book and his uh, Joker Puzzle Box series, and there's a lot. He's done so much we didn't get a chance to get to all of it, but good comics all around, uh, all, a really good talk, and uh hope you enjoy. This is Josh Flanagan from ifanboy.com, and I am here uh, with Matthew Rosenberg. Yes, you are. I mean, not technically. We're not in the same place. It's but true. Yes. In, in, in the way that any of us are together now.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm here, and you're here. Yeah. It's just two different here's, But yes. Yeah.
1: That's, that's some physics shit. I, I checked. Uh, you and I spoke in January of 2020. All right. And so by any measure, calendar time not that long, lots changed since then.
2: Has it? I, have, was, I haven't noticed.
1: <laughs> I, was, I was like, well, let's see. Was it long enough ago that – oh, yeah, no. There will be plenty of things that have changed. Uh, let's, 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 get the, let's get the big thing. Uh, let's talk about the thing, the, the reason you're doing a little media tour. Uh, you, you you've got a new book launching. Uh, yeah. why now I read the first issue and I know that when somebody listens to this, they probably won't get a chance to read for for a while, but I, I'm curious because, uh, I read it. Now I want you to tell me what your pitch is for the book.
2: Okay. So the book is called, what's the Furthest place from here? It's coming out November 10th from image comics, a little company called image comics. Uh, it's me and Tyler Boss, who I made Four Kids Walk to a Bank with. Um, the book is a post-apocalyptic coming-of-age story about a world where there are only children left. And, when, and they have formed gangs, and the gangs are at war with each other. And when one of the gang members goes missing... Our gang has to decide whether to go after her and risk everything or to let her go and be lost in the wastelands of post-apocalyptic America. That's pretty good. Thank you. You know, it's
1: not. uh, No, what I mean is I was like, yeah, that's what I read. Like (laughs) there, there was no BS. So I was like, yeah, those are all the things.
2: Yeah, it's, yeah. it's uh, if you talk to me again, if we do our normal standard talking every 18 months, mm-hmm. um, I'll have it down to a fine line of bullshit where it's just, you're like, that's not really what the book's about, but it sounds like a yeah. nice poster. But right now I'm actually still in the phase where I'm like trying to figure out how to talk about it, which is, I think, the most fun sort of phase to be in because I'm sort of discovering things about it as we mm-hmm. go. So <sighs> I've noticed that there
1: is... There, there are a lot of post-apocalyptic books now. Yeah, and 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 obviously, there's some zeitgeisty thing that's going on. We've got we've got post-apocalyptic books and horror books, and people are all working out their stuff. So for you, you know, uh, were you like where did that? Where did this start coming from? Was this was it the thing that Uh sort of came to you while the world seemed to be falling apart, or was it the thing you've always had, and this Mm -hmm. was just the time?
2: No. So, yeah, this is a, you know, it's the beautiful thing about doing a uh, post-apocalyptic book in the apocalypse. um, You get to really (laughs) examine a lot of things more closely than you'd like. Uh, This book actually was something when Tyler and me were making Four Kids Walking O'Bank, Bank, we knew we wanted to do our next books together and wanted to figure out what that would be. And we actually started doing a different book entirely and we got, you know not far into it but we got a ways into it there was some character designs there were some scripts there was outlines like that kind of stuff and then I hit a moment where I said this is four kids walking to a bank with an alien and Mm -hmm. Tyler was like no it's not and I was like take a night sleep on that idea that it's not just the exact same thing we just did again and he came back and he was like it's the exact same book and I was like yeah it is like it doesn't feel like it but it is and so we had a real like sort of panic attack about that. And I said, or maybe Tyler said, I couldn't actually say who which one of us was, said, let's just do the exact opposite book. And that uh, it's funny because we're doing another book about children in peril. So it's not the exact opposite book. But basically, we set out to kind of do all the stuff that we didn't do in Four Kids Walking No Bank. So we did a Four Kids Walking to no Bank was a a tight five issue so this is an ongoing. It was a, you know, a crime a comedy uh with, you know, some noir elements <laughs> and some you know, uh, set in small town suburbia. So we went big and epic and sci-fi and fantasy. And so this is like basically all the stuff that the opposite side of the coin to Four Kids, it's like the companion book. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we really tried to do stuff where we were out of our comfort zone and pushing ourselves to like try different things. So like, I was like, it's going to be less funny. We're going to be less reliant on like gags and more reliant on like having people care about these characters in different ways and stuff like that. And we got kind of far along and then I had some life stuff come up and I had to take a break on the book and I had some work stuff and Tyler had some work stuff and he did a great book at dark horse that yep. he'd always wanted to do called dead dogs bite. And uh, then we were like, okay, uh, life stuff is gone. Work stuff is out of the way. Let's do this book. And then the world lit on fire <laughs> and we were suddenly making a post-apocalyptic book in the apocalypse. And it was, a, a real come to Jesus moment of trying to figure out if that was a horrible, horrible idea or just a pretty bad idea. And we settled on pretty bad idea and went forward with it.
1: That's a good way to go. Do
2: you think, uh, like so. Where did
1: like the germ of this thing come from? I know that you had to sort of like back up from another idea that was going on, and you sort of at least had a thing you were not doing. But yeah. like, like the first thing you think of is it okay? Here's the situation in the world, or is it why would these people? You know, like wh- where does where does it start? And I know like, it's the lamest question: rolls. Where does idea? Com- where does this idea come from? No, but
2: no, I want to know the process. Yeah, that's a good version of the question. So, uh, ten points. Um, the <laughs> the the process was like uh, a lot of the stuff i do especially the stuff with tyler comes from just sort of like really simple nuggets of thoughts where we bounce them off each other and so i was just like the world is over and a bunch of kids live in a record store and you know that was interesting to us and we sort of talked about that and um the you know, and I, I said he said you know it's just it's just these kids and I said no I guess there'd probably be other people, and then it's you know well who are they and then it's like well it's fun if there are other kids and then you get to like well why are there no adults and we really build it out as a like hmm. a, a questioning thing and and so we had this sort of framework for this it, it's it, you know when I said before about like we were doing a lot of stuff sort of out of our comfort zone building this book was definitely out of our comfort zone. Like that was by design. We definitely like four kids walking to a bank was built on the idea of like, um, just a simple one sentence premise of like some children rob a bank to prevent their parents from having to do it. Um, that was it. And then it's just like, okay, we know what the, we know what the whole elevated concept of it is. But the, this was like building a world and some characters and then just expanding that all the time and we got to the point where we're like okay this is interesting like a world where there's only kids and these kids live in a record store why do they live in a record store and it's like well they live in a record store because all the kids live in old like businesses and things like that they live in they don't live in homes they they live in you know police stations and banks and they live in you know butcher shops and supermarkets but they don't live in homes they live in these businesses and they're trying to rebuild society. As best they can imagine, what it was from these things, and so then, like the idea of the record store becomes even more interesting because, like, it's not a practical thing in the apocalypse to have records as it is to have like things to barter and things to eat. So, like, there's something kind of beautiful and and about that, about the like optimism of, of caring about these records, and and then it just goes from there. And and when we get to the, we got to a point where we had a world we liked. I was like, okay, we have a world we like. Now, what's the story? And the story is that. You know, the Sid, who is our uh, a young girl in the gang, um, goes missing. And the gang has to uh, figure out if they want to go after her or not. Um, it's very dangerous to, like, leave the comfort of your home slash record store. So uh, that's what the book is about. It's a, it's about a gang. Of, I mean, I don't think it's much of a spoiler to say that they, they embark on a quest to go try and find her. We'll be able to very
1: quickly had uh, that not been the case
2: yeah it would be an awesome issue too if they were like yeah let her go <laughs> and then it was about something else uh, <laughs> a little bit of regret we didn't make that book but uh, here we are so yeah you know and it, it, you start you start just finding things I think w- the fun thing is it's sort of storytelling without a safety net in a lot of ways like we know what the story is we know what the end is we wouldn't have started drawing it if we didn't know what that was. But a lot of it is like discovering things along the way We're we're figuring out fun things about the world and and the characters as we go. And that's sort of new to us. And it's it's, you know, storytelling without a safety harness. But like it's really fun. It's really, uh, you know, like we're keeping each other excited by the book. And that's sort of the goal in an ongoing. You don't want to just be like. I've known what this was for two years. Now it's just about filling it in. That's not a fun way to make things. I mean, it is, it can be, but like we're trying to embrace a different idea
1: of, Mm -hmm. of how to do this. It reminds me of the, uh, it's, it's stuck with me for whatever reason, but, um, in Stephen King's on writing, like he basically, he said a thing once, which made me feel better because I thought I was just being lazy where he's like, you figure out who the people are and then you just let them go and see what happens. You know where you're going and, and, You know, that's the beauty of creation part. And I've never, uh, I know that any of my attempts, the, you know, put a bunch of cards on the wall and then make everything happen in that order has always been really difficult, especially because as you start going, you find out a thing about the people and then you have to change direction.
2: Yeah, for sure. We, we, We got to a point when working on issue five, where I said, I think I want this thing to happen. And with this character and Tyler was like, so shocked. And he was like, we can't do that. And I was like, we can. We can do whatever we want. And he was like, but he was like, it's, he was so sort of aghast by the idea of it. And I was like, I think that means it's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Like, you've been working on this book, you've designed this character. He's half you and half me, and you know him so well. And like, it makes sense what I'm suggesting, but it's intense and crazy and weird. And like, I was like, that, to me, hits all the check marks. And he was like, you're right, you're right, we have to do it. And so that's fun, because it wasn't built into it, we were just going to get to this point. And then it recontextualizes things going backwards. And I'm, you know, Tyler had to redraw two panels, and I had to rewrite a couple pages to like fit this thing in. But um, luckily, we've been looking working on the book so long that like, we could do that, we have enough, and we have the lead time that we could just go in and massage it. But yeah, it, it is fun to discover everything and, um, and expand it and build on it and sort yeah. of learn with everybody, you know, how does the collaboration between
1: you two work? Because, you know, the way that you're talking about it, this doesn't sound like, it's not like you give him a script, he does the thing you're working on it. I noticed, you know, in the book he gets credited first, which shouldn't be revolutionary, but it never happens that yeah. the person primarily responsible for art is credited first, which, kind of crazy when you say it out loud that that isn't a thing that happens but um, so like you know what is the is it sort of fluid is it the same as you did before you know where how does it work
2: um, you know I uh, it, it, it's sort of fluid uh, Tyler's a great storyteller um, dead dogs bite which he did all on his own is is a great book that I'm like very jealous of I, I think it's really brilliant in a lot of ways. And, you know, he has a lot of, like, self-published stuff and mini-comic stuff that I've always loved. And so, you know, I have just an insane amount of trust in his storytelling ability. Like, if I just drop dead tomorrow, I would hope he would keep the book going because I know he would do an amazing job of, of landing and maybe, you know, maybe a better job than I'm going to do. But the uh, but I'm trying not to drop dead tomorrow, so we'll see how it goes. But the the big thing is, like... You know, it, it's just a sort of trust in each other that means that there are times when he'll come in and be like, I don't like this beat. I don't like this. Like, let's build this together. Or let's, you know, I, I I call him and we sort of talk about everything and we build it very organically. I'm I'm driving up to Buffalo where he lives tomorrow um, and we're going to be signing stuff and mailing stuff out to people. But we're also like trying to build the second arc in in a way and just sort of, give me the skeletons i need to write something up and bring it back to him um but along the same lines like sometimes i'm very intense about like what i want a panel to look like or what i want something to be like some my scripts are to him are much longer than they would be to like a marvel or dc artist like they are very you know and and sometimes he throws that stuff out and sometimes we have to like figure out why he threw stuff out or why i wrote it and and go back and forth and Uh, you know, he's right as much as I'm right about, about the decisions, but it is very much like, I can't draw it as much as he could come in and write the book. I can't step in and draw it, but like, I can be very, very particular in what I want to see in a panel or on a page. And he is comfortable with that because that's, you know, it feels pretentious. We credit each ourselves as storytellers in the book rather than, you know, writer and artist. But like, we are not doing our normal roles as a writer or artist on when we do stuff together. How are you, how do you approach sort of that, I want to say screen direction
1: or composition or how panels are laid out? uh, How do you do it now compared to how you did when you were newer at this? You know, because a lot of people start off doing like way too much and then some people don't do enough. Like, would you say you've changed over the, over the course of your career?
2: Yeah. You know, the thing for me is like, I mean, I definitely started off doing too much. Right. Uh, But a lot of it comes from knowing and trusting the people you work with. Mm-hmm. And knowing what they need to know and what they don't. And, you know, my time at Marvel, I did a lot of miniseries. And so I was constantly in a pool where I was meeting someone for the first time and didn't know like I would know their books, but I wouldn't know how the books came to look the way they looked and how to right. how designed them, like whose ideas I was looking at in certain things. And so the big thing for me a lot of times at at especially in my Marvel work was my issue one script would not look anything like an issue five script by issue five. I would know what they need to know and what they don't. Um, uh, Lately, I've been doing a bunch of stuff at DC and I, you know, I've been working with, uh, you know, I Francesco Francovia, David Lapham, Chris Sprouse, um, Derek Robertson. Like those are people you don't need to worry about. Yeah. Those are guys who I'm just kind of like, you know, here's a sentence on what I Mm -hmm. think that what I think this panel is. Um, you got a better idea, it's, I'm sure it's better, go. Yeah. You know, like, they're, they're really people I trust. And, you know, people who I'm working with on other stuff, um, Fernando Blanco and um, Eddie Barrows and, you know, people like that, like Otto Schmidt on, uh, like, those are guys who are not legendary yet, but at the same time, like, they know how to put a page the to Yeah.
1: You know, what actually leads to, I guess, a question is that, you know, there's a lot of foreign artists doing sure. mainstream comics i know that you've worked with folks from all over the world you know is there is that language barrier ever been a thing or is it just that everybody else in different countries speaks english and we only speak one like
2: that's what, <laughs> how i tend to think it is but oh yeah i mean that's definitely how it is it is yeah. uh, it is uh, do you want to feel like a disgusting monster like deal with uh work in the comics industry writing for people who speak two three four yeah. languages and <laughs> you're just like I'm sorry that my English isn't quite as good as your English, and that's your fourth language.
1: Um, I mean, but, but is that the case that most of the time those artists are speaking English for the most part, and there's not really a translation error or
2: it's about eighty five percent. There are some people who have translators and mm-hmm. stuff. you just kind of don't. you but then you like then you have a relationship with the translators. like there's a couple books I've worked on where like I end up having a good relationship with a translator, and I'm, you know, it's just like, they're like another extension of the artist in that regard. They're, they're part of the team and part of the visuals of interpreting the book. So like, yeah, I mean, it's always funny because like the, um, there are certain artists who, who you just click with and it, it doesn't have anything to do with, you know, where they come or what, where they come from or what their first language is. It has to just do with like, you know, their vibe. Like I, I did Thunderbolts, uh, with Juan Ferreira and he just like, immediately i don't know if you knew that i did that book um it's just a page behind me yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> i know you knew that when you said I, that i'm exactly. telling the people uh
2: the he's he's amazing and an amazing artist and one of my favorite artists working and but also is just like an incredibly funny sharp dude and yeah. like you now it's he's not a native english speaker but like his sense of humor is cutting and brutal and great and he just like the first interview like we did about the book like um you know he just got out there and was like you know like Matt did a terrible job on the script but they bring a guy like me in to fix it and I was just like laughing so hard reading it and of course like you know PR people were like no no you can't say that I was like no let him say that like that's great that's super funny and and you know it's like it's just it's just the vibe of the people that that really you know I think that's I think that's so cool
1: because, you know, I I know it's a smaller world than it ever used to be, but if you've got people who grew up in different cultures, you know, there's all sorts of different things at play when you're communicating with each other. But if you get to that point where like, no, you're, you're, you know, you're working on some story and you click together, you know, despite, like, I just like the humanity of that where the language and the place you came from doesn't really matter. And it's just the the coolest thing that I just wish I, like, I wish more people did it and and could experience that.
2: It is really, You know, like I, it's funny because I had it for me growing up and when I was younger, like I was involved in music and punk rock and you would travel the world and you'd be like, okay, these are punk rock kids. Like if I, if I'm in a bind, like they can tell me where to go. Like I can borrow a few bucks. I can crash on a floor. Like you're in a band and you're like, I don't know anyone in this town, but we're in this town. We're going to play a show. And at the end of the night, we know we're probably going to be fed. We'll probably be offered a place to stay. And it's just a sense of community. And it's really, you know, that's something that like, I would miss a lot if it weren't for comics. But you know, I, I make comics. And so I go to Luca in Italy, and I go to dinner with 12 Italian comic creators. And it's just like, it feels like home. It's a Mm -hmm. great feeling. And it's, you know, anywhere you go, like I can go to any town, and there's going to be comics people, and and like you can you could hang out, and there's a commonality to it that that I feel like is not there in, you know, we 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 always comics always has a weird inferiority problem where it's like, film gets to do this or sports mm-hmm. gets to do this, and I'm like, yeah, but you're missing the like wonderful thing about comics is that like we can actually be. A community in a way that film isn't, or that sports isn't. Like, yeah.
1: what's interesting is the very first time that I went to San Diego forever ago, two thousand, I think. And this is before. I mean, it was big, but it wasn't. It didn't get stupid yeah. for another four or five years um, till the celebrities and everything started. And I was walking around. I said, "Oh, this is like if you were a film fan, and Scorsese was just sitting there." yeah at a table and you could go talk to him and he'd be really happy to talk to you and then over at the other side you know was was somebody else of equal stature and i and i, I think that had a big effect on like me still doing this after all this time it's like oh you're you can talk to these people and it, it is a community and and for a little while social media made that even more amazing that's over now but for a little bit you know like through about 2008 i was like this is the best community of people on earth because one of the other things is you know like the best people I've ever met are comic book professionals. The most interesting, funny, b- yeah. because cause nobody's doing it to get rich. Like They yeah. could all go do a different thing
2: Yeah, if they a wanted of, to get rich. Of, you meet a lot of comic creators who have turned down more money mm-hmm. to do a thing that they're passionate about. And being around people who are passionate about what they do, like those are interesting people. Like those are people you should want to be around. Like always, in any field. Like if you meet a garbage man who's really passionate about being a garbage man, that's an interesting person and you should get to know them. And like, (laughs) it doesn't matter what the job is. Uh, But we just happen to be in a unique field where like, yes, there's a lot of people. And, you know, but it goes beyond just like the creators to me. I, you know, I sometimes like, I go into comic shops a lot. I'm a big comic shop nerd. And I just like, when I go to town, I always like, try and visit all the shops and just to see what they are. And, you know, sometimes I'm recognized, sometimes I'm not, sometimes I introduce myself, sometimes I don't, whatever, depends on how I'm feeling or whatever. But sometimes you introduce, you know, you introduce yourself at a comic shop if you've written, you know, X-Men or whatever and people and comic shop staff often are just very chill and very excited Mm -hmm. to you know happy you're there and happy to talk comics but sometimes people freak out and i'm always so off put when people freak out and i'm always so uncomfortable with it not in a bad way but i'm always just like i the number of times i've said to people like look i worked in a comic shop before this and if i have a couple bad years i'll be working in a comic shop again after this like there's no reason to not just talk to me like I'm someone else who's into the same stuff you are. Yeah. Like, we don't have to be weird and put up, you know, you could be the next hot writer at Marvel in two years and I could be, you know, your employee in two years at this comic shop. Like, we don't have to put up these barriers. And that's what I really like about comics is that, like, it is a community that encompasses everybody. It is it is press and retail and fans and creators and publishers all sort of here because they want to be here for Ninety-five percent of them, and that's an awesome thing to be around. Absolutely. So let me go back.
1: Okay. Uh, I'm going to ask, uh, how did uh, how did you and Tyler start working together? Because I know you did books a long time ago, but obviously you've got one of those relationships where you're going to be doing projects with him, yeah, together yeah. <laughs> off and on, probably for a long time.
2: I would hope so. Where'd it start? Uh, unless he kills me this weekend at his house in Buffalo, um, you he, never know he, in Buffalo. Yeah, it's true. Um, the, uh, it started, well, this is a good segue. Uh, we worked together in a comic book shop. Hey, Uh, yeah, look at that. Um, he was actually in, uh, art school in New York. He was going to SVA for illustration, um, or cartooning or whatever. I don't know what they call it, but he was learning from comic people to make comics. And I was, I had had, Uh, a bunch of other jobs that were better paying jobs in fields that I was once passionate about, but was quickly losing my passion for. And I had made the decision that I wanted to make comics. And it just seemed to me like I had a lot of money saved up. Um, And I was just like, yeah, I'm just going to go and uh, be around comics all the time and people who are passionate about comics and try and figure out how to make comics. And so I went and applied for a job at a comic shop. I got hired And was just like, yeah, I'm just here because I want to be around comics. I don't, you know, I don't need, uh, I I wanted a job that I could walk away from and it wasn't going to be all encompassing for me emotionally or exhausting or draining. And I wanted a job that would be around other people who were like as excited about the thing I was excited about doing. Mm -hmm. And so me and Tyler sort of just really gravitated towards each other because he was always you know, drawing, and I was always writing, and we would just talk about that stuff all the time, and we were both, like, the weirdo dirt bags. so we worked at a shop who, they were open till midnight, um, and so, like, you know, your shop in New York City in the, um, on the, uh, in the Lower East Side, in the, in the downtown Manhattan, like, you're open until midnight. You're just, it's just going to be a dirt peg scene. It's just full of drunks, and <laughs> drug addicts and weirdos. And, you know, me and Tyler would be there at 11 at night. And like the only people in the store are super drunk or like, you know, just crazy people. And, uh, we're just like playing music 10 times too loud and talking about comics all the time. And, one of the things I would do a lot was I would, I would just bounce ideas off him. And I would just be like, what about this as a story? And he'd be like, and we'd just like talk about them. And then he'd pull out his sketchbook and he'd be like, what do you think of this? Or like, what do you think of this? And we were talking once and I was like, uh, it's a story about children who rob a bank. And he was like, how old are they? And I was like, they're eight. And he was like, no, that's stupid. And I was like, they're 15. <laughs> and he was like, no, that's boring. And I was like, they're 12. And he was like, 12 is funny, 12 is good. And like we just laughed about that idea of just like 12-year-olds who rob a bank. And the next day he came in and he had sketches. And he was like, I thought about this all night. And he was like, I couldn't stop thinking about 12-year-olds robbing a bank. And I was like, cool. And he was like, I have to do my senior project uh, for David Mazzucchelli, who was his professor. And he was like, can I do do you want to write a script and I'll draw your script for this 12 year old trouble bank thing. And I was like, yeah, let's do, let's do it. And so I wrote the script uh, for a very rough version of issue one over the, over a week and I gave it to him and he drew it as a senior project. And then we were like, we should make this book. And then, uh, by the time he had graduated, he was like, I hate all my art in it. And I was like, I hate the writing. And so we threw out the (laughs) issue that he did as a senior project started over and uh yeah that
1: was it so uh you know while you were hanging out and chatting and you were making comics and whatever did you did you think maybe i can did you like him did you wanted to collaborate with you did you tell him did he you know what i mean like i'm I'm it's like oh you knew a guy who was an artist that means that you got to groom him
2: (laughs) no no it's uh it was very much like it was funny because working in the shop like we were just on the same wavelength on a yeah. lot of stuff like we liked a lot of same bands and we you know when you work in a comic shop there's always different you know like the, there's people who are going to be like I'm a Marvel guy I'm a DC guy and me and Tyler were very much like we're everything people like we're reading you know we're bringing in Mobius stuff untranslated Mobius stuff we find to look at it and we're reading you know Batman and we're reading X-Men and we're reading Hellboy and we're reading like self-published stuff and Sammy Harkum and, you know, stuff on Uncivilized and Koyama and stuff like that. And so we were really just like the people we could always talk to about stuff because mm-hmm. like whatever we we're into, the other one was kind of into. And, uh, I actually started, I had, ju- I had started, but we wasn't published. Um, but we were working on my first creator on book at Black Mask, which is a book called We Can Never Go Home. And I said to Tyler, I was like, do you want to do a cover? And he was like, yeah. And I, you know, we gave him like 200 bucks and he did a cover. And I was like, oh, it's great. It's awesome. Do you want to do another? And he was like, yeah. And by the end of it, like we were, we needed so many covers because the book was getting reprinted all the time and stores were asking for exclusives. I think Tyler ended up doing like 14 covers for the book (laughs) because I was just like, this is the guy who I work with and he's just right there. And like, I can just hand him money. Were you into his style? oh yeah yeah i yeah. mean he's funny because he he did all these covers for we can never go home he was nervous because he was doing them in a more like mainstream style because he was like this is a superhero comic i'm not going to draw like how i draw like he's very like you know he's very influenced by like you know kelly Mazz- well mazakelly but also like you know tomane and and no yeah and
1: i don't mean that in a bad way but like that's sort of Simplicity oh, no. of line. Like you said Mazzelli and I drew a line in my head and I can see that influence. Oh yeah,
2: yeah. He you know, he he um yeah, he's super influenced by Mazzelli, but but like, you know, Asterius Paul of Sure as yeah. much as as Batman, as much as Daredevil. But like he uh you know, but like Chris Ware and stuff is a big influence for him. And so when I was like, you want to do covers, I expected him to do them like that. And he ended up being like, no, I'm gonna do these in a more superhero style. And they looked great. And I was like, they're awesome. Why don't you draw like this? And he was like, I don't want to draw like that. And I was like, oh There it is. That's a good answer. Um, But it's actually funny because no one ever realizes that he did all these covers because he got so self-conscious that his first published stuff was in a style that isn't his style. And he was so nervous about being Mm -hmm. pigeonholed that he drew them all under a pen name. So he's credited and has a fake signature on all of them. And like all the time people bring them to me and are like – at conventions and i are like, Oh, I got this. I want to find the cover artist. And I'm like, he's right there. He's like eight feet from me. And they're like, that's Tyler. And I'm like, yeah, that's Tyler drew that. And people just don't believe it and they don't get it. So like, he never signs those books, even though he's really proud of the art on them, but he, yeah, he's really versatile. So he, he can drew, draw in a lot of different styles, but like, uh, yeah, I like his stuff that he naturally feels inclined to do mm-hmm. a lot. And sort of like, you know, I didn't know what he was going to draw for kids walking bank like at first. And then when I saw it, I was like, oh, of course. Mm-hmm. Like, this is this is what it should be. And then, you know, now he's like doing that. But if we decided to be like, hey, we want to flip this up and do this different. Like, we want this to look like a different thing. Like, you could do that easy. Mm-hmm. So,
1: yeah, I think that's one of those things about really good cartoonists is like there's a lot of other stuff in there. It's just, that, yeah. you know, it's not the voice or whatever, but like, yeah. It's like exactly. a black guy who can rip off a, a blues
2: solo and be amazing at it,
1: but he's like, I don't want to play that.
2: Yeah, it. exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's yeah. Tyler's always been like, yeah, I could draw like, you know, your superhero shit. I just like, I don't want to be a superhero artist. Like mm-hmm. I don't have an interest in that. And like, y- you know, when he, it's a weird thing. And, and like he said to me once, he was like, you write like weird indie comedy comics and you write like X-Men and Punisher. And like, those aren't the same thing. And I was like, yeah, I guess I don't really think of it that way, but like, he's not wrong that like, creatively I I try and stretch and do different things, and but there's things I gravitate towards, and there's things I do for work, and he's like, yeah, I'm the same way. Um, so, uh, it's just always imp- weird and impressive when you see an artist do it.
1: Yeah, but, totally. Okay. Hey, um, when I, I was reading the book, and I noticed this is a thing, and I think you've done this in other books, and uh, you know, the first issue is broken into series of like short chapters yes and that is unusual to do during an issue now the first issue is an oversized issue i assume they're not all going to be 40 50 pages but um
2: actually the first issue is 60 and the second third are each 40 so <laughs> whenever I'm reading a long book and
1: it's it's usually digitally, cause I can't tell what it feels like, there'll be a certain point, but like, why, why, when is this over? Yeah, and you this? look, and if you're, if you're like it, if you're like at 20 pages and you think that that's not good, but if you're like 35 and you, that's yeah. the first time you thought it, that's good. So that's kind of where I was, but I, I was like, Oh, this is long. Like, but I hadn't realized it. Yeah, so, yeah. but you break it into these, the chapters are, I think there's six or seven chapters of, th- yeah, throughout yeah. that, you know, like, <sighs> where does that come from what do you consider the purpose of that
2: so it's an interesting thing um we i mean maybe it isn't i don't know but you're gonna find out now
1: i mean Um, i I asked that kind of technical question so i wouldn't worry about it
2: okay fair (laughs) enough Uh, the the you know so much of what i mean we did it for a few reasons one uh, I'm really not a fan of transitioning scene to scene with the same character. I find it, like, not always the most enjoyable thing. And, like, it, it's something you have to get used to in superhero books, because especially solo superhero books, because it's like, well, you're just really focused on a guy. But it's like you read a lot of books where, like, the same the same superhero and the same superhero starts every scene. And you're just like, okay, I'm just walking behind this person. And I find it, I don't notice it in other people's work, but I notice it really heavily in mine. And I always try and like figure out ways to avoid it where I jump between characters and I jump between scenes as much as possible. Or, you know, I'll open a scene where they're just not in that scene and they'll come into it, but like make sure it moves. This is a really, the first issue of this book, we sort of built it to be kind of claustrophobic and yeah. tight to start. Um, Sort of the idea is that like we don't give you a lot of information at the start of the book. You're just in this room, and then you're in a building, and then you step outside of the building, and it just grows and grows. And that's sort of the theme of the book is that like the world is expanding. You're watching it grow um, as the characters move press outwards, and so because it's so claustrophobic, we kept it focused on on two characters to start, and. It isn't until halfway through that we sort of jump around between characters. And so part of it was just an attempt to break that up so that we'd have these moments to catch your breath. But there was a lot of sort of like we had, I I sort of toyed with a lot of different ways to do that. One of the things I was really into doing, though, was making it feel like a, a fantasy epic in a lot of ways and so i was like let's really take the time to like be like this is a chapter and this is a moment and like what is this moment telling you i mean like i read a lot of stuff where there are scenes and if you sit down afterwards either you can't figure out why that scene happened or that scene happened exactly for a specific reason and it felt like that like you you go to a place to see a thing you get the thing and you leave and that's your scene and i was like well let's let's be more judicious about what the scenes are, why the scenes are, and and adding these chapter breaks tells the audience, like, chew on that for a second, mm-hmm. like, catch your breath, think about what that was, prepare for what's coming next. And I don't know, it, it just feels like, you know, at, at a Marvel or a DC or a place like that, we have the, you know, we have a page count that we have to hit and they will only pay so much for a book and they'll only give you so much space and this and that. And this is the place where we're at image. We can do whatever we want. And I was like, we can just add pages. We can just add chapter break pages and let things breathe and mix up things in a, in a different way and let people have a longer experience where they're not rushing through it. Where, you know, it's, it's, um, So that was a big thing that I was really sort of pushing for was just the people to really get, catch their breath in the book. And, you know, I, I said to Tyler, I was like, I want to do this. And he was like, but isn't that going to push our page count up? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, what do we do about that? I was like, we end up paying a few more cents per copy because we did it. Like it comes out of our pocket. The audience doesn't pay for it. Um, but I think it gives them a better experience. Like let's give it to them. Mm -hmm. And so that was a big thing. But the other thing is like, we were definitely cognizant. I mean, there's a, there's a sort of vinyl, there's a theme of vinyl records in the book. There's a vinyl component to the physical book. Um, and vinyl to me is like you know a companion to sort of the comic book but i think the big difference is that vinyl doesn't have or comic books don't have the the flip they don't have the moment where you have to get up and turn the record over mm-hmm. and i was like i want to give people that i want to give people the song the breaks between songs and the break between a side and b side and so that was that was part of the design of it too oh. it's a all sort of pretentious way of just being like.
1: Oh, that that worked. I, I didn't go. Oh come <clears> on. I went. Oh, that kind of clicks. It's it's really interesting because I notice stuff like this now because as we've seen, page counts go lower and lower over the years. And and like I mean I think you know technically they say it only went from twenty two to twenty pages, but it feels like it's even less than that a lot of times. Is that I I tend to appreciate when people take the risk of using space. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when, because, because it's so, you don't have a lot of room to do a thing. And, and, you know, this book you're talking about, you have a lot more control over it. But just as a form thing now, I notice it. I was like, yeah. oh, you're, you're taking, you're taking space for this. You're taking time and mo- money. I mean, literally, like, so it, it's, it's indulgent, but not necessarily in a bad way. So I always think, oh, this must be happening for a reason that matters yeah, it, to these people. And it, it I like
2: it is one of those things where, like I said to Tyler at one point, I was like, you know, I don't know what it costs. Like we can get image to tell us, but like adding a few more pages, I was like, I don't know. It's probably like three cents per copy. It's nothing. And he was like, oh. And then I later was like, well, if it sells a lot of copies, like that's.
1: Oh, yeah. Now shipping weight, the whole, there's a whole st- thing going on there. You got yeah, yeah. full black coverage. Come on.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, just, but just like the cumulative like money out of our pockets. We're Tyler you know, like I sold it to him on like it's three cents, Tyler, for a nice artistic choice. But then I'm like, oh. But if we sell a hundred copies, that's three bucks. And if we sell a thousand copies, that's 30 bucks. And we're going to sell more than a thousand copies. So now we're talking about like a weird indulgent choice that like, what did that cost us? Was that $300? Was that $2,000?
1: That You had no idea if it was actually three cents.
2: Oh yeah, no idea. They're going to, image is going to come back and be like, it costs a dollar. And we'll be like, (laughs) oh, I really, I really screwed that up. Oh, we owe you a ton of money. Oops. Um, but the, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things that, like, uh, this, the space thing is important to us, for mm-hmm. sure, also. And it's not just in that. We, we really, you know, early on in the book, um, actually before the pandemic when we were working on it, the first issue was, like, 25 pages. And we just were like, let's give people uh, – we, we hit that moment when – when everything paused and comic shops were closed and diamond was not shipping books and we're like, I'm assuming this ends and we come out of this and, and like there's a society on the other side of this. And when there is like, let's try and make a thing as special as it can be. Let's let's try and and break some of the molds. And so we rewrote and retrew and reworked a lot of stuff. But that also meant that the first two, the first three, two issues became the first issue with a lot of stuff added so that's why it's a 60 page first issue and then the third and fourth issues begin the second issue and that's why that's basically our first arc is over at two issues in because we were like we really want to give people um a lot to chew on we want them to feel like they got their money's worth but also we expanded everything so that there's room to breathe so there's atmosphere and i was like mystery and atmosphere are so important to what we're trying to do here and that takes space and time and you know uh So we really like leaned into all that. So yeah, like I'm, when you say I'm very cognizant of, of people taking time to do things in a book, like this is the ultimate taking time. This is our version of the ultimate taking time to do things in a book. Like Mm
1: -hmm. well, it's it's interesting because, um, the format, uh, confinement uh, of comics leave a lot of first issues feeling like a cold open. And so you say, Oh, that's kind of interesting. And it looked cool but I don't know what it is yet. I find myself saying that a lot. And so, but then again, obviously making it longer, it's taking a bigger risk because a, you know, if it costs more, much less people are going to buy it, blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of considerations. But if from a story standpoint, you know, the the more you can put in that, obviously (coughs) the better off unless it's too much. But anyway,
2: yeah, yeah. I mean, we're, we're funny because we sort of defy the gravity on that anyway. Like I agree with you that there is a weird gamble. Uh, I'm sort of, I love comics and I read comics all the time. There are certain things that like I'm hit. I'm at that point where I like critically see things where I'm like, oh, I'm getting kind of sick of this idea. Like, what can I do to push back on that? And mm-hmm. like making stuff in a more reactionary way, I guess. Yeah. But like one of the things for me is like the, what is the last page of your first issue? That's the premise of your book. Like, I I, I'm that. just, I just hate it. I'm just over it. Like, I don't hate it. Like there are people who do it great and I love it but like there are Those, so many that's much
1: rarer though. Like there's people who do like Brian K. Vaughn is the best guy in the world at doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Then everybody else is under that and it gets like, and then i uh, in mainstream books. I'm always like, I don't know who that is. So I just read this for no reason. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah there's a wonderful thing when the reveal is a, uh, when I was writing X-Men, I, uh, I gave the issues to my dad and he would just be like, I know I'm supposed to know what that means when the guy with the red glasses shows up at the end of the book. <laughs> And, I'd be, and he said, my dad literally said to me once, he was like, the guy with the red glasses. And I was like, Cyclops. And he was like, yeah, he shows up at the end and he just says one word. And I was like, yeah. And he was like, what percentage of the people who read this comic will know who that is? And I was like, 100%. <laughs> and my dad was like, well, I didn't. And I was like, statistically speaking, 100%. Statistically. <laughs> there are no people reading an X-Men comic besides the author's father who don't know who Cyclops is when he shows up
1: I 100% agree with that yeah Um, I'll back you up on that if you need if he needs you know
2: I appreciate it the uh, the but you know it's such a funny thing to be because there are those moments where you're just like oh this twist doesn't hit the way you think it hits and like you know one that one that one that book that did it recently was Department of Truth where the the last issue the first issue has a last page reveal where I gasped and Mm -hmm. I was like oh I love it so much. Like James just hit it out of the park and like, yeah, it's great. The last page is just like, Oh, a person walks into the room and I just was like, Oh, I need to read this book. Like this is my favorite book. But at the same time I was like, I don't want to do that. And that evolved from like, well, let's get the premise on the page earlier to let's get the premise on the page later. Like, let's not really. So we give people 60 pages but instead of getting to that moment at page twenty, we're not fully at that moment at the end of issue two. And I think that for me was like again, going back to the thing I was talking about of like there are things we do that feel like we're walking we're doing a tightrope act without a safety net. But like I'm I'm looking at stuff like like the leftovers or twin peaks or lost or or things like that. You know, like sequential stories where like, You don't know what's going on and you're asked to go along for the ride. And that's part of the charm and the fun of it is Mm -hmm. like we're discovering the world as we go. And like what I think this book may be about isn't what it's about. And so that's that's a big thing for us and what we're trying to do. And like, you know, the people I I think there are people who will read read what's the first place from here and be like, I don't know what the hell this is. Mm -hmm. And like, that's fair that's fair enough to know what the hell it is. I think we're going to have a lot of people, I hope who are like, I don't know what the hell this is. And I like it. And that's, mm-hmm. that's sort of our target audience, Is People who are like, this is weird and mysterious and cool. And I like the characters and I like the world. And I want to know where it's going because I have no idea. And that's, you know, like we're at a phrase, we're at a place now where like, I don't know, maybe 60 people have read the comic. Yeah. Like, I've given it to a handful of pros, you, like, one other podcaster, and, like, a few retailers. And so, it's interesting to hear back from people. And, like, the number one thing other other comic creators keep saying to me is just, like, I love it that I don't know what it is. Exactly. Well, I mean, there's a couple of things that
1: happen there. One is ah. you have to trust and it's mm-hmm. funny because you you mentioned some examples and you said lost. And if anything has uh, contributed to my not trusting the idea sure. of not knowing, it was the show Lost. Like I'm angry at the show. But I know what you're getting at. But, yeah. but like I, I got the idea. I was like, but they don't know where it's going either. And that bothers me. But if I trust you as a creator to know where you're going. And then oh, also yeah. w- what helps is, you know. You setting a thing at a record store and people trying to define themselves by their records and me seeing that there's a bunch of records in there, I recognize that's going to be a real quick way for me to go, well, I'm going to know what they're talking about when they get to it. So that's yeah, yeah. helpful
2: for me at least. <laughs> sure. Um, if you're not a Husker Du fan, the, 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 <laughs> there might be a little bit more of a hurdle there. I have a sticker on my truck. <laughs> well, there you go. The uh, the Yeah, no, I mean, I will say the caveat that like, I, I never, when I say we don't know where we're going and we're discovering the world, that's not true. Right. Like yeah. No, I know. not we, yeah. we knew what the end of the book is before we started page one. It's the middle where we're like learning and figuring out, but we always knew what the end of the book was. Like right. the end of the book is as clearly defined to me now as it was when we started and it's what it's going to be. But yeah, I, you know, the lost thing is funny because I, I had this conversation recently with another comic creator where we we're talking about lost and, and game of thrones. And I, I look back favorably on both shows mm-hmm. and I don't particularly, I'm not a huge fan of the last season of either show. Right. And uh, the other creator I was talking to, who I won't name, was like, but they didn't stick the landing. And I said, yeah, but like, let's talk about that as an idea creatively. And I don't necessarily endorse what I'm saying here, but like, I'm trying to explore it as an idea, which is y- you, you spend a hundred hours with someone and they're amazing and you love it and it's all you talk about and it's all you think about and then the last two hours with them you're like oh they kind of suck do they always do you look back on those hundred hours poorly like how am i going to speak ill of game of thrones or lost because i don't like the endings because the journey was so amazing and so well done and i don't know and i i said I think it is situational and subjective Sure. Yeah. Go ahead. You I, can finish your I, – I, I mean I said, I, said, I said to someone once, I was like, you know, am I going to say a restaurant sucks because I go there and I have an amazing salad and I get a delicious steak and the wine is perfect and it's just amazing. And then at the end, they bring me a brownie and it's a little burnt and I'm like, this restaurant sucks. Like I'm not going to do that. And the person I was talking to was like, yeah, it's like if you get on a plane and the seats are comfortable and the entertainment is great and uh, the flight is smooth – and and they're going quick, and then they crash into a mountain at the end. Are you going to be like that was a bad flight? And I was like, I guess that's the counterpoint to my argument.
1: <laughs> I think the reality is somewhere between those two extreme situations. Yours yeah. is so mundane, and and that is not. You, yeah. you know, uh, I think uh, I think it's like it's like anything when it comes to art, where it comes to story. Like the story should matter. That should be the thing. Like, did you tell the story? And that's where the ending matters. But there's different kinds of stories, and sure. and. With Lost, I felt like I was always trying to figure out what the point was and why I was there. And over time, I started to lose faith in, A, caring about what was going on or thinking that, A, they knew where they were going. Yeah. Game of Thrones is different. They obviously knew exactly where they were going, you know, to a certain extent. And then as of the end, it's like it wasn't going to live up to everything that came before it, which is the opposite. I quit, I quit Lost in the middle of the second to last episode. Oh, wow. I walked out of the room. I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> and that's, like, Good. it makes me angry when I think of it.
2: <laughs> I really love Lost. I
1: really love it so much. And, and I understand like, that. And I, you know, like, I wish I had that feeling, but I have it yeah. for other things. I think I would say my first example of that would be like, like Battlestar Galactica. Like, uh-huh. I loved that journey. And then as we got close to the end, I was like, I don't, I don't think I dig what's going on here. Uh-huh. But I don't think about the show badly. I still think I love that show.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess that's true. I guess how much weight is in the destination versus how much weight is in the journey.
1: Yeah, it just uh, on like. But Lost, they were always promising you that something yeah. was coming, and it the, didn't.
2: The funniest thing for me always as a Lost fan was that they were like, I just remember constantly them being like, "It's not a religious parable. It's not a religious parable." And everyone was like, "Okay," because it seems like it's a religious parable. It seems like they're in purgatory. And then the teaser image for the last season came out, and it was all of them at the Last Supper, and I was like. <laughs> oh, guys, I think you are doing the thing that we all told you you were doing and you told us you weren't doing. I think we were right. Um, and uh, Yeah, I think that's we
1: it. We interviewed, I don't want to say this in the second or third season, we interviewed Paul Dini, who wrote on one of, I think, the second season, I'm not sure, and Ron was doing the interview with him on camera. And Ron made the joke. He goes, come on, you guys have no idea what you're doing, right? And boy, did that joke did not go over well. That oh, yeah. was an
2: awkward game Like, we <laughs> thought we were friendly with a friend and we could joke. Not the case. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, I, you know, I never watched Twin Peaks when I was, I mean, it was on sort of before my time. Yeah. And then I was always like, oh, I should watch it. I should watch it. It's very much on my alley. And I was like, I love Racerhead and I love Dune and I love all this. And then I just knew that he made it up as he was going. And that to me, I was like, I don't like that. I don't like the idea that he's making up as going and I'm never going to be into it. And I finally pulled the trigger and watched Twin Peaks like a couple of years ago. And there's great stuff in it. But like, it, I was like, it's not for me. It's not, yeah, it's not my kind of thing because I, I can't get away from the fact that like he's making it up as he's going. Yeah. In I a guess. lot of places. And of course, then he leaves and then other people are making it up as they're going in an even weirder way
1: yeah people i've i've i mean obviously my two of my best friends are absolutely into that and i i just i can't i can't i don't get david lynch i don't understand it it's just not the thing of mine but i've also never watched twin peaks all the way through as an adult and i always think maybe sometime i should but i don't want to be disappointed by it so i'd rather just not not like
2: it the first season is super fun yes if you can get over the fact that like it's an awful lot it's an awful lot of television about grown men trying to sleep with 16 year old and 17-year-olds <laughs> girls. Like, it's a staggering amount. I as, Yeah, as that, adult, that whole era. Like, yeah. But this is like, I was like, oh my god, there are five women on this show, and three of them are like constantly getting pawed at by adults, and they're all high school girls. It's very, and it's like... You know, you're like, at some point, this is going to be a commentary on that, right? And then you're like, nope. Mm-mm. No, it's definitely not. Okay, <laughs> not, let's move on. Not for 20 years.
1: Yeah. Uh, um,
2: so, the, good the
1: show. We're, we're, I'm going to go. I have things, and we're running out of time. Okay. But I have things I want to get to. Not that that wasn't fun, because that was super fun. And the producer of <laughs> me was thinking, oh, this is good stuff. But um, <laughs> so the first thing that I heard about your new book. Uh, mm-hmm. Is that it had, uh, Ron said, he's doing something with a record. He's trying to get a record in there.
2: <laughs> yeah. So why don't you why don't you tell me about that? Uh, uh, I love Ron's uh, dismissiveness of it. Um, <laughs> I, can, I can hear, I can see his disdain as he says it. Um, uh, and then I can also see his face not have that disdain when he asks me if he can get a copy later. Um, <laughs> the, uh... So, yeah, we, we again, going back to the idea of the pandemic, it's something that I tried to do for a long time. And when I was at Black Mask, it was something that we, I, I really pushed for. And I was like, we should do We Can never Go Home With Records. And they were like, we don't even know if anyone's going to buy this book. And then people did and they were like do you want to do it for four kids and I was like it doesn't make sense for four kids walking a bank but it was like a great place to do it because black mask is co-owned by brett gerwitz who's you know in bad religion and owns epitaph records and so it was very easy to just be like brett we want to make records but it was also easy for brett to just be like no this is the comic company like the records we make at the record company like no Mm -hmm. um and and that's you know probably the correct answer (laughs) um but so we we hit a point where like in this we have this music component and i was like i would like to work music in in some ways maybe like get a a friend to write a song that we can be the soundtrack and then again the pandemic hit and i was like i want this to be something special i want this to be something cool and people talk about and i you know i called image and i was like what do you guys think about doing this and They were like, "Ah, that sounds like a lot of work. And I was like, I'll do it. It's, you know, I used to do this for a living. I used to put out records like I can do it. And they were like, yeah. And I was like, yeah. And so they were like, if you can put it together and it's not going to be a nightmare for everyone involved, um, go for it. And so we I started reaching out to bands and, you know, all the horrible things that have gone wrong in the past two years the only bright side i can see in my whole life is that all these bands were grounded they couldn't be touring they couldn't do anything and so when you call a band and are like hey you normally wouldn't take my phone call but you're literally sitting home playing xbox uh do you want to record a seven inch and they're just they just were yeah like we just started getting yeses from all these bands that we didn't expect to get yeses from and um we hit a point where I was like, okay, the first issue is going to have a seven inch. And then I was like, I think we could do seven inches for the first three. And then I was like, Oh, I think we can do seven inches for all of them. And so, yeah, every issue comes, there's a, there's a regular version. That's just a comic for, you know, that's what most people will read. But then there's a deluxe version that, uh, is coming out and it'll come with, it has its own cover. And then it has a seven inch where two bands, um, record songs just for this. That's sort of our, our version of a soundtrack but also you know i like it because it's sort of this circular thing because it's it's both the soundtrack to the record and we want people to listen to the songs while they read it and sort of think about the way the songs relate but also the bands are bands that we listen to that me and tyler are huge fans of and so we reach out to bands who are influences and bands stuff we were listening to while we were making it so like The bands are both the soundtrack to the creation of the book, but also the soundtrack to the book. And I like that as a sort of artistic behind the scenes slash, you know, in front of the scenes. I don't know. I don't know what to say. The, uh, but they, yeah. So the, the first, the first issue comes, there's going to be a seven inch and it's got um, Joyce Manor from Southern California who are just one of my favorite bands Uh, were awesome enough to record a song that sounds amazing And, uh, the title of the book, what's the first place from here is actually taken from a line from a Jawbreaker song. And so early on, when we were still in the early days of the book, I reached out to um, Blake Schwarzenbach from Jawbreaker. And I was like, Hey, we want to call our book this and we just want like your blessing sort of. And he was he was super nice and and was really kind and, and really enthusiastic and and checked out the book and was like oh this is great and um he, you know he was like I, can I talk, can I share this with the rest of the band and I was like please yeah if I had contact for them I would have and uh, he shared it with them and they were all so supportive and kind and then I told him about the Sevenish thing and he was like I'd love to do a song and obviously like one of my all-time favorite musicians being like I'd love to do a song was a no-brainer mm-hmm. so. He is the other side of the Joyce Manor record. Um, so it's Blake and, and Joyce Manor. And uh, yeah, it's awesome. And and uh, a true headache, nightmare to put together. Everything that Image was like, this is going to be a nightmare. And I was like, I'll make sure it's not a nightmare. Um, I'm hoping it hasn't been for them. But uh yeah, it's been a. It's too late now, you self indulgent asshole. Yeah, no, I really <laughs> I really blew it. Uh, before the pandemic, making a record, you know, you could get a seven inch press in, sure. in eight, 10, 12 weeks. Uh, now you're looking at like six months, seven months. Yeah. So we're constantly chasing deadlines backwards. And those deadlines include getting bands in the studios and all these things. And all of that means that you're ordering records. 6 months before people even know that you're making them like you have to guess how many stores we had to guess entirely what demand would be on this right uh, you know i had 5 stores that i reached out to and i was like hey discreetly between you and me like how many of these do you think you'd take um and these are big stores and stores that i trust and and they were like i don't know 10 15 20 copies mm-hmm. and i was like okay and i sort of based my math on that and then of course once it gets announced everybody was like, can I get 400? Can I get 300? Like Jesus. demand is through the roof. Yeah. They're going to be hard to get is the, is the so
1: market- the, I guess the question then is, is <laughs> I'm just thinking, where, where would I get one? Like, like, so are they only going to be sold in comic shops or?
2: Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that was the interesting thing early on is that image who are, so they're the best partners because they, they want to innovate and they want to do, Cool things, but they also will defer to you, and it's like the dream relationship where like you have someone who is trying to, trying to make things as successful as possible. But then at any point when you're like, no, I don't want this to be as successful as possible, they're like, all right, go down your own path. Like, good luck. We'll help you. Um, Image early on was like, let's put this in record stores, uh, get new people discovering comics, and that is a super noble, great idea, and I think people should do it. I love comic shops so much that I was like, no, I want to do the opposite. I want to put comic, I want to put record collectors into comic shops. Like I don't want this available in record stores. I don't want record stores selling these. I don't want comic collectors who want the exclusive cover or the deluxe version to have to leave their comic shop to go buy it. I want their comic shop to get them the thing they want. And so that's, that was the sort of back and forth with image. And they, of course, were like, yeah, whatever you want to do. And so, yeah, the records are only available in your local comic shop. Um, wow. And we're not we're not doing, um, you know, before people are like, uh, I saw someone be like, oh, it's 15 bucks. Good way to milk me for money. Um, no. Nope. <laughs> uh, one, it's not a good way to milk you for money. It's a terrible <laughs> way to milk you for money. Records cost so much to make and get paid. I,
1: I didn't want to ask you about the economics of it because it would be sad. But no, that's I can
2: tell you right now. That's. But we're also donating every penny from uh, the records to charity, oh, and wow. that was sort of are like we don't want to. You know, this is not something that we're trying to do. Like this is the the thing for us. All the work and all the, you know thirty thousand dollars in credit card debt i'm running with right now um the uh all of that is um is is so we can have the joy of having these bands that we love do these records and Mm -hmm. like contribute something to to this thing that me and tyler are making and it's such a cool honor at that like I felt stupid trying to make money off of it. It right. felt gross. It felt like, why would we try and make money off of this thing that we're doing for our own pure enjoyment? And so, you know, early on, I was just like, hey, what, I said to all the bands, like, what do you think if we donate all the money to charity? And they were like, that sounds awesome. Um, so that's the A point. But also, we're not, you know, I'm not a record label. I used right. to run a record label. i never doing that again. So these aren't staying in print. They're not, there's not going to be a 10th pressing this record we're giving all the songs back to the bands when when the records are out. They can do with them what they please. I'm assuming the songs will trickle out in various ways. Um, But as it stands right now, uh, they're not going on iTunes. They're not going on Spotify. Um, The way to hear the song is to go to the comic shop and buy the record and listen to the record. It's a very, we're living in a very 1980s time. You want to hear these songs, get the record. That's it.
1: You just made me want to pre-order a comic for the first time in a long time.
2: That is the, point
1: <laughs> i see well then it, it worked because i have never pre-ordered a damn thing in my life that's not true i pre-ordered one comic ever
2: oh look at that no I, you need to say what it was it was robert kirkman's battle pope oh it's a good choice that's like a, good a book.
1: long time ago i saw that I, that looks awesome and i told my guy to order me that ahead of time but mm-hmm. i always i have a like i know how comic books work in the economy and how you, how you need them to be but i just hate it as a system it's just it's not oh. and you know you know that yeah. but but i've always been like hey if i can't and i you know I'm in a different space than most people. So I get to read a lot of things, but
2: sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, we had a lot of debate about whether or not we wanted to put a download code in a book so that everyone could hear the songs mm-hmm. and one, it gets sort of murky cause they're not our songs. They're sure. the band's songs. Like we paid for the recordings, but it, we're giving them back to them and I don't want to be like, yeah, we already gave this out to 40,000 people. Thanks. Um, but two there's the charity component and we didn't know how many people were going to be buying these. And yeah. I didn't want people to be like, yeah, I can just hear the MP3s. Like we want people to buy the record. And I was like, it's going to charity. Like, let's try and sell it. And then, you know, we want to make a deluxe thing feel deluxe.
1: You know, so, as a person who's sitting next to his record player and hundreds of records and likes indie rock, you're like, this sounds awesome. And I, I hope there's enough of me. It sounds
2: like the shops think there are. So that's uh, cool. Yeah, I think I think the first record announcement, I think shops were kind of caught off guard by mm-hmm. it. Um, the second record will do the same thing when it's announced in a few days. Yeah, And uh, the third record will do a very similar thing when it's announced in a few days. And we're going to continue. We have a lot of people who are doing songs that I was like, oh, that is a very huge deal <laughs> for like, you know, it, U2 is not doing a song, but like. A lot of people who are in bands who I know people who have tattoos of their bands, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people who are, you know, in bands that that will play a show to six, seven hundred kids a night um, are doing these. You know, I, I, it's funny because like the, I talked to a shop early on and, and when it was announced and they were like, I don't think I can sell this. And I was like, you don't think you can sell this record? And they were like, not in my town. And I was like, you're like the only comic shop in your town. And they're like, yeah. And I was like, Joyce Manor played your town, like not, you know, before the pandemic, not that long ago, and played to like 600 kids. You think one out of 600 of those kids who would pay $20 to see the band is gonna buy a record from them? And the guy was like, oh, I have no idea. And I was like, we're gonna do our best to put all 600 of those kids in your store. You just have to have the records, which now is a, Scary proposition because I don't know that how it's going to work. But we'll see.
1: Yeah. Well, maybe maybe this will be the last time anybody does it. And maybe it will be the first time anybody does it. And then we'll find out. Yeah. <laughs> well, good luck. It's not my credit card debt, so I'm okay with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, before we... <laughs> it's my sardonic humor. Coming across or just sound like an asshole. Um, before we get going, there was a couple of books that I did want to ask about. Uh, you had mentioned the Thunderbolts book before. Yes, and uh, I did not love everything about The King in Black. It just wasn't totally my speed, but I thought one thing that was fun about it was there was a lot of it where the side tales that were going were really fun from lots of different kinds of stories, and my favorite out of them was was that Thunderbolts book, which came out of nowhere for me. I was like, well, where, what is this? This is great. Oh, thank you. Yeah, where, What? so how did that start? Did, you, did, did somebody be like, you got to tell a story with these guys, or did you say, I think I can fit something in here?
2: No, the um, I've been talking to Marvel about doing Thunderbolts for a while, mm-hmm. and I had a big sort of grandiose plan, and we were trying to fit it in. Some of my characters overlapped with some of the stuff that Chip was setting up in Daredevil, and so we were like, can I do it before he gets there? Can we get out? And Marvel was, I think, a little nervous that we were going to do well. Um, they shouldn't have had to worry about that because no one read the Thunderbolts King Black Book. But uh, I think they were worried that, like, well, what if this takes off and then you you know have stolen some of these characters from chip and what do we do i think that was a slight concern not a real concern but like you know uh, one at least passed on to me a little bit and then it was like well will we wait until when chip is done with this thing and um and then we just hit a point where donnie was putting together king and black and he you know me and donnie are very close and mm-hmm. and he was like come do stuff and i was like i don't have anything to do like i don't i don't have a thing i want to do in king and black um and he was like why don't you do? He's like, we don't have a street level thing, like we want street level people, and I was like, yeah, and I was like, maybe a new warriors thing would be cool. I could maybe do a new warriors thing, and he was like, why don't you do your thunderbolts thing? Let's launch it there. And I was like, oh, that's interesting, and like, um, so did he the, run the thing like like he, like he was editing the whole project too? No, this was just like sort of a right. late night on the right. phone thing. Gotcha. Like, hey, we should bring I mean, this in together.
1: But because overall, though, like like. <coughs> Sometimes an event is all-encompassing and everything is sort of marching towards one thing. I thought this one was really cool because it was compartmentalized. Like, I didn't have to
2: read the whole thing. It was was in everything, but it wasn't ruining them. By Donnie's design. Yeah. Donnie was was like, I'm going to tell the story I need to tell. And, like, I'm going to try and give you enough pieces that you can run with. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, we brought it to Marvel. And Marvel was like, that's great why don't you do your first arc of the Thunderbolts, your first, you know, do your whole Thunderbolts book as a mini series in King of Black. And I was like, I pitched you guys two years of Thunderbolts. Like I'm not (laughs) going to do that (laughs) for issues. And so we rebuilt it from scratch to be sort of built around, uh, the event a little bit more, but like kind of standalone ish. And then, you know, the only note they had was like, we really want to use star in it. We're trying to use star more. And, uh, you know, Kelly Thompson created Star, co-created Star, and Kelly's a good friend of mine. And so I was like excited about getting to run with one of her characters and maybe mess it up and get angry text messages from her. And um, so that was a big thing. And then other than that, I was like, I want my cast to be Taskmaster, Crossbones, and Mr. Fear. I want it to be three guys with skull faces who are all <laughs> mad at each other for stealing <laughs> each other's kids. And that was it. Like, that was a major point of what I wanted the book to be. And they were like, you can't have uh, crossbones. He's We're using crossbones and other stuff. And I was like, oh, the joke's not as funny without him. But uh, so it ends up really weird. And every once in a while, people are like, why are there two guys who look similar? And I was like, there were supposed to be three. It was supposed to be three guys who look similar, um, which doesn't answer the question for anybody but me. But uh, and that was pretty much it. we were just like, oh, OK, let's just do three issues of this and it'll be fun. and It's funny and weird. Really? There's only like, uh, three issues? Yeah, that's correct.
1: Wow.
2: Yeah, we packed in a lot of uh I guess you did. a lot of dumbness. You did. It was it was
1: it was a good kind of dumb. And I I I really like when people lean into the Sentry being strange and weird and out of place. And I think uh, I bought yeah. I bought that last page where it's just his torso, the weekend of Bernie's sort of Yeah, you know.
2: what, what's funny to me is that like Sentry fans are, are are well known at Marvel to be like a very intense group. Really? oh yeah oh yeah the if your dms are open and you overwrite the sentry you're gonna get some visitors Oh no <laughs> shit get, oh yeah and i'd done sentry stuff in uh marvel Knights 20th anniversary with donnie we we, we had a sentry thing mm-hmm. and then i wrote um annihilation scourge which had sentry in it so they were like well versed in me and then we had this thing where he's dead and uh he century fans were so mad they were like you're making fun of him and i was like no but i like i love this entry i think he's a great character he's super he's super strange but also just like the simple idea of him is great of just like you know what's the scariest version of superman it's not bizarro it's not evil superman it's just a superman who's a little off yeah and like that to me is super fun and i love it and then everything that's been added to that has been really weird and, and so, yeah, like I, as soon as Donnie was like, what would you do a street level thing? And I was like, where are you leaving Sentry's body? And he's like, well, it's in space. And I was like, no, no, it can't be in space. I was like, <laughs> drop it to earth. And he's like, okay, it drops to earth. And I was like, done. I was like, my book is finding the Sentry's body to blow it up. So that was it. <laughs> it's I, good time. I, 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 I'm not 100% sure. Jake Thomas, who was my editor and was my editor on 27 Issues of Punisher, gave me my first gig at Marvel, is one of my favorite editors I've ever worked with. Um, I'm never quite sure what of what we were doing Jake conveyed to other people Mm -hmm. because we got a lot of, like, after things were drawn, a lot of, like, raised eyebrows of, like, your weekend at Bernaysing one of the Avengers and then your plan is to, like, have a bunch of Dirt bags blow him up and we we're like yeah yeah that's the plan it's like we're gonna blow up a corpse to win this <laughs> event and uh yeah i think i think jake did a great job i don't know this for sure but i think great jake did a great job of like maybe keeping some key details out of some documents so that we were allowed to do some of the stuff we were allowed to do in the book uh and it's a better book for it so well, I
1: hope that you had as much fun making it as we did reading it. It was a really good little, little, you know, just a fun little mini series on the thing on the side of, of everything that was going on
2: and like all aspects. Like it was drawn beautifully, oh, beautiful, beautiful book. Uh, I think I probably had more fun making it than you guys did reading it. Cause it was a lot of fun to make and they paid me. So That's, like a double win. That is better. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't taxed, but still. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> That's nice too.
1: Um, you were working on a lot of stuff. And we're not going to get to all of them, but one of the things that, and I actually, I haven't actually talked about it on our show very much, but I've actually read every issue of uh, Joker Puzzle Box. Okay, and um, it's weird. Not, it's not even that. Like, I'm tired as like I'm tired of Joker stories, and and i mean in a way like if I see something as the Joker, I'm like ah, I'm not going to read that. But I saw your name on it, so I I sort of started to read it. And you're right, it's weird. But my big question is, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a puzzle. It's a mystery. And I, I don't, I'm not a big mystery fan, but the thing that always gets me is I'm very interested in the construction of it. And so you've got this thing where something has happened and the police want to know why and the person that they have to ask about it is, is the Joker and he's in the box and we're just, he's telling this story that rambles like, when you were making a mystery, like, do you do you know do you work from the end and go backwards or build those pieces? Like it it requires a level of meticulousness that that I find very impressive. Yeah, it's brutal.
2: Making yeah. a mystery. Is brutal. Um, yeah. What's funny is that uh, Katie Kubert, who's the editor on the book and sort of put it together, she came to me and she was like, I want you to do this book. It's a Joker book. And I was like, OK, I like the Joker. And I was like, sure. And then she was like, he's like the cryptkeeper telling stories. These are stories the Joker would want to tell you. That's all she had. And I was like, okay. And then <clears throat> I turned I turned in this idea where I was like, he's not just telling stories. He's telling stories to the police. And she was like, okay, I like that. Why? And I was like, because they're all connected in this big mystery. They're all part of a mystery. And she was like, okay. And she's like, we don't want this to be one story. We want it to be an ensemble thing, standalone stories, lots of artists. And I was like, all right. And then at a point she was like, what if it was 14 small mysteries that all lead to a big mystery? And like, you know, you got a call like that and you're just sweaty and anxious. <laughs> and you're like, I was like, it's really hard to make one mystery good. You want me to make 14 good mysteries oh. that can, that Voltron into one big mystery? And so we didn't do that exactly. But there are sort of weird questions that that come up in each issue that sort of push it forward and drive it but it's also you know in part of that partway through i was like look these are stories the joker's telling like let's be honest there's never been a better chance to do an unreliable narrator story in mm-hmm. comics. like no one would believe him that these stories are true. So let's play with that and let's, let's obscure facts and change things and tweak things and, and make it feel weird. And like someone pointed out that in, in two of the chapters, the, the actual – there's a box that they're looking for, that the pieces – that the box you see doesn't look the same from issue to issue. And that's by design. We're like, yeah, we're not, we don't want you to trust anything. We don't want you to trust the things you see. We don't want you to trust the things you read. All will be clear, and there is a story being told. But while it happens, the Joker is sort of taking you on this journey. So it's a very weird mystery because there is a mystery that we built from Go that is the Riddler is dead. Who killed him? And that was always the mystery, and it's the Joker explaining who killed the Riddler. And we're going to get there and explain it by the end and you're going to see who did it and why but along the way we're going on this very strange journey that like you know some of it is obscuring the fact that we don't have more mystery or some of it is obscuring the fact that like things may be obvious but we're we're Deflecting, But then sometimes the things that like a bunch of people have guessed what happens. And I was like, no, that's definitely not a thing that happens, but it's interesting. And that's really fun for me to see how that goes. But like the construct, I I think any mystery is hard to build. Um, I'll be happy if I don't ever do a mystery again. But (laughs) uh, this one is really fun because we can really go crazy with it and do a lot of weird stuff. And I think. As it starts to unravel and unfold at the end, when you get to the end of the book, people are going to be really, you know, the people who were kind enough to stay with us are going to be real shocked by where this one is going. It's,
1: it's, it's really fun. You know, it's, it basically what I'm getting, it's a lot of elements that I might not necessarily pick up. Like I'm sure, you know, and, and, and I've stuck with it the entire time. And I think, you know, it's a bunch of really great artists and and it's fun. And, uh, like the idea of even building something like that makes me anxious. Just yeah, yeah from a from a construction standpoint so the,
2: maybe the, that's why i, I appreciate it the, the it is the book mo- that i've done more than any other book that gets a lot of like i don't normally like this kind of thing mm-hmm. or i don't like this character but i've never had this happen so much that mm-hmm. people are and, and it makes me feel like I keep being like, well, the Joker must be really unpopular. And I'm like, no, he's like one of the most popular characters in all of modern fiction. But I understand that people are like, well, I'm sick of him or I'm fatigued with him or whatever. But like uh, you get a lot of a lot of people who are like, I wasn't going to buy a book with the Joker in it, which is also funny to me because the other Joker book that's going right now. uh no. James, yeah. well, no, well, yeah. That, yeah
1: that, that's the other, I, do, I get that mixed up with yours a little, because it's there's a yeah, thing going on, but that's not well, your I'm, fault.
2: I'm also writing on the the, the Joker book, too. I oh. wrote issue five, and I'm writing the annual in issue 10. So, like, I'm writing two different Joker books at the same time. Two different uh, Jokers, theoretically. Two different Jokers, yeah. That's, kudos to Jeff Johns. We're proving him right. <laughs> um, we just gotta find that last one. The... Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's very weird to do a book where people keep being like, I wasn't going to like this, but I do, I, I don't know what to make. I mean, it's, it's flattering. It's a Nice compliment. That's,
1: I think that's the best one. I mean, a, you have to have people who are willing to go, I don't normally like this, but I'll try, you know, but then yeah. B, the other one is that you bring them over. That's like the best thing. Cause yeah, that, yeah. that's the, it's the, it's, I mean, for the reader, it's something that you didn't expect to enjoy. And then you do, which is better than just enjoying, I think.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's true. I, there, there are times, I mean, you know, the dark secret of making comics, especially superhero comics, is that, uh, you know, we all – we all, it's a machine. You're sure. on a treadmill. You're going to put out some things that are less good than other things, and you know when they are. And it's always interesting when people come out and are like, I love this one. This was my favorite. And I know that every creator, they'll never admit it, but every creator kind of raises an eyebrow and is like, you love that one? Or like, that one wasn't good. Or like – you, this part didn't, you know, in the back of our heads, we're always like, "That didn't bother you? That we thought I fucked this up so badly, or that this sucked." Um, and so it's it's funny, like that's uh, this is the converse of that, where people are like, "Yeah, I didn't think I was gonna like this, and I do." Is much better than the the blind. I love this, where you're like, "I don't, I don't believe you." Like, <laughs> I think I think you I think you're either saying that to be nice to me, or you just like anything that has this character in it, and you're not thinking critically. Um, Which in- we. We do
1: sometimes. Oh. In comics? Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> uh, I think we could keep going for a really long time, and I think I should have you come back sometime before too long. Be uh, but let's cut it short here. Um, it was super fun talking to you. Always Thanks is. Well. And uh, well. good luck with that book. And uh, it's, it sounds like people should. Uh, I've, I've, re- like, I've read the first issue, like I said. I, I really dug it. I'm going to keep going. But um, pre-order this thing. It sounds like, like the message now.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a fair message. Go get it. Go that's get good. it. Yeah.
1: If you made it through this and you're like, I like those things they're talking about, you'll be, you'll be just fine.
2: Yeah. And if I sound like a jerk and the book sounds stupid, you should still pre-order it. Maybe you like those things anyway, despite my <laughs> terrible attitude and the bad it's, ideas. It's true. There. I just said I don't like the Joker. And look where we got.
1: It's uh, you never know. You should just yeah. you should do that. All right, well, uh, thanks so much, and uh, I guess I'll talk to you soon. Good luck in Buffalo. Thank you. <laughs>
2: excited to be there. I'm going to have some wings.
1: And that is another episode in the can. There will be another one soon. This show has been brought to you by the patrons at uh, patreon.com slash ifanboy. Uh, they, they contributed, and we said, okay, we'll do these shows Uh presumably on a more regular schedule than we have been but you're getting the number in the end we'll be back with another one of these soon enough you can go to ifanboy.com you can listen to all the other shows we've ever done you can listen to matt's previous episode that took place before the pandemic which was basically another world entirely uh he was working mostly at marvel then he's working mostly at dc now uh go check this book out what's the furthest place from here uh pre-order it if you want those records make sure that you get that uh either way just read the book um and that is all. You can find Matt on you know, Twitter and Instagram and all those things like that. Uh, he's a creator worth following. And that is all for now. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon.